It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, everybody, welcome to a brand new MMA Roasted Podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, Speedweed. Listen, people, marijuana is legal in California. Get it delivered. Do not leave your house during this pandemic uh, for marijuana and go to dispensaries and who knows where those people have been. Okay, instead, get it delivered right to you. Uh, we got a special show. We have a UFC Hall of Famer in the house, um, one of the best coaches ever, my favorite commentator. I got to say, out of even including Rogan, out of all the commentators that I watch, I, I pretty much watch LFA because you're the commentator. I mean, I watch the fights, but you, you definitely have no bias. And whenever you say who wins, that's who I think wins. Uh, I don't even go by the judging. I go by Pat Militich's scorecard. So very underrated. Very underrated. I want you to argue with me once in a while, though. I, it's, it's hard. I mean, you, you, you really call it like it is. And the thing about LFA that I like about it is they don't, they put up a guy that's like eight and oh versus a guy who's eight and oh. I mean, they, like, they put up a guy who's two and oh versus a two and oh. It's not like you're going to see a bunch of washouts. Once in a while you will, but they're pretty much even fights, especially for that level of promotion. I don't know why you froze. Can you see me now? Yeah, it was a shitty internet problem. Uh, but me and you, Tyler, you're, you're, you're here, right? You I'm here. Uh-oh. Pat? No, Pat's frozen. Pat's frozen. Uh, Fantastic. So, yeah, uh, I was saying, I, I honestly think LFA is a very underappreciated um, – it's on Fight Pass now, Fight Promotion, because they have really good matchups, uh, and it, and they're, like, fun to watch too. They do. Well, they have great fight. Like, all the, all the local guys that I know that are – they're, like, one, maybe two steps away from, from UFC. If you're at the top of the LFA, that means UFC is looking at you, right? So, if you go to an LFA show, you're getting good fights. Yeah, in really good fights. Like I can't convince my my UFC fanboy friends that LFA is just as good, but you know the real people know. <laughs> Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. So uh, my my internet connection for some reason a little messed up. We've had some storms today, but I can hear you, so that's good. Um, yeah, but yeah, the LFA has very exciting fights, and I think you know one. Yes, there are a lot of very talented um, young fighters that are coming up through that. They know it's the conveyor belt into the UFC, or one of the few, certainly. And and also, they're going to pull out all the stops because they're very hungry and they want to get to the UFC. Once people get to the UFC, many times, not always, of course, but many times, uh, you know, if you make mistakes at that level, uh, you get sent back down, and people don't want to do that. So, you know, that, that's that's I think the three reasons why the fights are very very good. I mean, Mark Vieri does an incredible job of matchmaking. Yeah, I think a lot of guys in the, in the UFC, they're scared. They're fighting not to lose versus fighting yeah. to win. Where in the LFA, they're fighting to win because they want to get to the UFC. 
So, well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When when I made it to the UFC, the first thing they said was basically, uh, look, if you lose, we can get rid of you. <laughs> I went, well, I'm just going to fight safe and pay my bills, you know. And I, I most of the time I did. I mean, I finished some people, but I just made sure I was ahead on the scorecards, not get crazy. I Honestly, guys, I wasn't there to be a fan to pay me. Uh-oh. You, you, yeah, you weren't there to be a fan favorite. You were there to get paid. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, look. I agree I, with that. I, I was, I like went back and watched a lot of your fights, Pat, and, uh, I don't know if the guys were just tougher then or crazier then, but like you fought Dan Severn and gave up, and gave up 85 pounds. Uh, like that would never, 85 pounds. 85 pounds. That's a person. That was the, I can I can tell you that that was the most miserable evening of my life. It was it was eve it was nighttime out. It was an outdoor fight. It was like eighty seven degrees and humid <laughs> as hell. And having that monster lay on top of me and crush me against the cage for a good a good uh, amount of that fight was not fun. I also had a, a a family friend. He played football for my dad in college. My dad was a football a college football coach at one time also. And so we were real close families, um, and they owned the local grocery store and all that. And his name was Eddie Langford, and he was drunk, and he was my head was crushed up against the chain link, and Eddie was literally ringside, and so he could just lean up to where his ear was inches from, or his mouth was inches from my ear, and he'd go, "Do it for your dad, Militich. Do it for your dad." Oh my God! And, and I could smell the beer on his breath while I'm getting my ass kicked by Dan Severn, and. I, I finally looked at him and I go, Eddie, go sit the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that fight was, it was a 20 minute fight. It was a draw. It was a draw, but he laid yeah. on you for 20 minutes. I mean, that was, I don't even know if he even tried to stop you. He just basically sat on you and there was nothing you can do. Well, and it was so slippery out uh, on the canvas. It wasn't canvas. It was vinyl. And that was yeah. probably one of the saving graces for me. Cause I could slip and slide the eel and kind of deal with his knees on the ground to the head and things like that. So I didn't really get blasted with any of those. But it was he was so ungodly strong that it was – I mean, I, I was totally zapped after that fight. But um, I did land a huge right hand to his body once. I swear to God I touched his spine. Um, <laughs> and every, every ounce of air left him. Uh, but then he started mauling me again. Well, I was like, I was, it was basically like one of those movie fights where at the end the guy comes through, except he didn't come through, he just sat on you. It was one of those things where like you're, you're waiting for like that last minute for like, oh my God, but it never happened. It was. Just, uh... Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. That was a tough one, but it was, I've got a lot of respect for Dan, man. He, uh, he did a lot for the sport. No, totally. I and mean, then you've you done a lot for the sport. Yeah. And then you fought Townsend Saunders who, I remember as a, a wrestler, you know, Townsend Saunders was a gold medalist. He was like the, you know, I think I had I had his like wrestling shoes at one point. And you 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 fought him and you won. It was a close fight. I watched it again. It was. Did you think you won that fight, or did you think it was close? Do you think it was draw? What did you think? I knew it was close, but I felt I was up on the cards. Um, but more than anything else, just because anytime he got takedowns, he just he never hit me. He couldn't hit me. Um, right. You know, that's one thing that we really worked on a lot back then was defensive skills because I talked to a lot of the old kickboxers and old boxers that I trained with, and many of them actually had a, a real tough time staying on 
you know, what we were talking about. And I recognized that pretty quick and talked like their tongue was too big mouth. And I said, man, I don't want to be punchy like that. So I really focused and I watched fighters who were really good defensively as far as strikers. I mean, the old Willie Peps and, uh, you know, the old time boxers, you know, Willie Pep was a boxer who, not to take you off on a tangent, but you know, for anybody that doesn't know who Willie Pep is, you can go back and actually watch the round on YouTube where he was in his corner and he said to his cornerman, he goes, I'm not going to throw a single punch the entire round and the judges, all the judges are going to give me the round because of my defensive skills. And his cornerman went, Willie, don't stop screwing around and just go out and put this guy away. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm not going to throw one punch this whole round. He didn't throw one punch and he made the guy look so stupid um, that actually won the round on all three judges' scorecards. So that's that's what I started to absorb, uh, paying attention to footwork and, and defensive skills standing in on the ground. And, you know, that's the stuff I think that saved me from, from ending up punch drunk. How good do you think Towson Saunders could have been? Because he only had two fights. He had two two losses, but they were both good fights against Beast. You think he could have been a, a amazing? He was he was an incredible athlete. He was so explosive, very very powerful. Um, but I think he was too nice of a guy. I don't think he could think in the way you have to put a uh, turn a switch on as a fighter to go from being a nice person to be a almost a, a, a criminal is what you're doing because you're setting traps to hurt people. Uh, you know, things like that in fighting. And there's just people out there that just aren't capable of doing that, which is the vast majority of humans on the planet, honestly. I think, I think everybody, everybody is capable of doing it, but most people don't know how to access it. Like every human being is capable of all, we're all capable of all the same things, save some genetic freaks, right? But yeah, yeah. You've never been taught how to go there or you're, you're scared to go to that place or you think you might never come back. By the way, by the way, Pat Tyler. By the way, is my is my co-host, also a a, um, a marine. Uh, we coach wrestling together. He's a brown belt. He's an amateur fighter. That's awesome. Pleasure. Thank you. I know. I, so that's yeah. I know who he is. Nice to meet you. But uh, yeah, but well, people can people can access it a lot easier when the refrigerator is empty. Trust me. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, absolutely. What Sinbad, that's what Sinbad said. He's like comedians are funny when they're riding the bus. Are you living in a palace, Adam? Uh, no, I, I'm not living in a palace. Uh, uh, journey, journeyman comedian slash middle school wrestling coach. While it should make a lot of money, uh, it's actually um, – uh, right. Well, I was just – the only reason I was asking, if you were really wealthy based on what Sinbad's quote was, um, I would assume then that somebody else is writing your material. Oh, that's very nice of you, man. No, it's just – I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still hungry. The thing about comedy is yeah. it's kind of like fighting where you get humbled every day. I mean, just when you think you got it figured out is when that crowd just hates you. Um, so that's got to be, it's got to be, I've done a lot of public speaking, motivational speaking, things like that. And, um, stand up comic, the stand up comedy is out the most terrible thing that I would ever even envision attempting, to be honest with you. And it's easy to be and ad lib in a conversation like this, but to have the timing and the memory skills to be able to go through an entire set and make people laugh and remember you, uh, that's, that, it's nearly impossible. It's also the biggest high though. It's the biggest high. When you see people, when you're on stage and you're looking at people cry laughing, I mean cry and you're just like, you're giving them the power and the joy and their, their, their stomach hurts and their fate. They're like, Oh my, my, my I couldn't keep it. My, my face hurts from frowning so much. Uh, I mean, from, from laughing so much. That's when you're like, you're like, man, I'm doing something right with my life.
That's yeah, why. This, yeah. That's why right now this pandemic is just like it's like taking away my superpowers, you know, of making people laugh. I well, just, I think you know, I it's it's I I don't know how to put this because there are a lot of jokes to be made here, but just now's not the time, right? Now's not the time. People are actually losing their lives, which is very tragic. But for the people that did research and paid attention and, you know, I've been hosting a show for five years now where we've been monitoring the systems and, and you know, the derivatives market and all this type of stuff and the, and the bioweapons labs and everything else that's on. I've been paying attention to this stuff for the past five years while most people are just going about their lives, going to work, doing their thing. And, you know, it was over a year ago, I was screaming from the rooftops going, this is all going to come apart, like in the spring of 2020. I was saying it. I mean, people can go back and listen to my show. And then mm. did I foresee or anyone foresee that they were going to use a pandemic to uh, as camouflage for it? For the biggest um, smash and grab in world history, didn't foresee that. So, okay, so because I want to talk to you about that. So you, th- I mean, you obviously think, this is a real thing. People are dying and it's, and it's, and it's people should be, but you don't think anything should be closed down. No, 100% not 100% not. Um, you know, they even, um, Fauci and others even said before this, even, um, that locking people in their houses actually causes, um, a work of it because look, we're still going to the grocery store. We're, we're still going to the gas station. We're still going to different places. We're still interacting um, we're still touching stuff that other people are touching all over the damn place. Mm-hmm. And to think that it's not spreading and then locking us in our houses with our families. Um, you know, it's, it, but, but here's the thing. Um, we have, and other developed nations, of course, have, uh, we have 25 bioweapons labs alone that in Asia with the ability to create that attack specific DNA. Um, those were, those were, basically engineered by our scientists and those scientists have diplomatic immunity, which means they can care thing they want and you can't search it. So this was established well over um, a year ago on our show with documentation uh, from the department of defense and the Pentagon. I, we think we feel that those documents were released to scare the shit out of the Japanese or the Chinese and the Russians. Um, when all of a sudden a Harvard, the head of the Harvard, uh, laboratory gets arrested. Lieberman gets arrested being paid. I mean, fifty two thousand dollars university and then, and then two scientists from China, from that, from that university get arrested also for uh, espionage. Um, you know, you got to say to yourself that this doesn't, Missed the very, very end of it. Okay, so uh, Pat. Yes. Okay, so Pat, so walk me, so walk me through this a little bit because I'm not as informed or as smart as you are. Okay, so um, you think that the U.S. came up with you're, this? Uh, you're actually much smart. You're actually much smarter than I am. Uh, you just haven't time, you know, digging like I. That's my show. All right, all right. So, so walk me through it. Okay, so, so the U.S came up with this um, disease, sent it, to, sent it to China, or China stole it from us. Then they started experimenting on bats. Then they released it on purpose. Well, we can't, look, it, ultimately, what I'm saying is 
do we have laboratories that are capable of this? 100%. Um, they were experimenting on COVID-19 in uh, Chapel Hill at the University of North Carolina laboratories also. Uh, lab created. But what I'm saying is, is you don't write uh, an 800 page, page piece of reg- piece of legislation, 800 pages in two weeks time, and then pass it for a massive out for all the global banks all of a sudden. And we, we get sh- um, while meanwhile, now the banks are buying up um, so many assets, billions of dollars a day in assets, um, small corporations, family farms, um, land, um, you know, all kinds of property. Uh, the, the global banks are, are scooping this stuff up after they get the stimulus money, you know, and, and if you paid attention to the global banks, again, stock prices, uh, Deutsche Bank, I just posted it on Twitter today and Facebook. Um, at one time it was $77 went down um, just before the 2008 housing collapse. It was $24. And before this collapse, it was six fifty, six dollars and 50 cents. The writing was on the wall. It's just too obvious. So do you think the government used this pandemic as an excuse to, t- or the world, the world banks to tank all the to tank that? Why would they want to tank the market? Because they can buy everything for pennies on the dollar, bro, which they're doing. We are witnessing full socialism um, at night by, by thievery, bro. We, we are witnessing full blown government takeover of, of all all private, almost all private business. I mean, if you look at the airlines, Delta Airlines um, CEO today, uh, he's just now a puppet for the government because they took the stimulus money, saying that you're going to have to have um, immunization papers um, to be able to get on their airplanes. Dude, do you realize what that does? If you're willing to allow medical experiments to be conducted on yourself and your children, just for the right to get on an airplane, you got problems. You got big problems. And unfortunately, there's going to be millions um, who are ignorant to what's really going on who are going to get in line to get that, that vaccine. Oh, I'd say 95% of the world. So do you think the U.S. was uh-huh. in on, on the experimentation in China to develop this uh, COVID-19? Well, look, there are certain sectors of you know, our society who are globalists, obviously, they happen, they want to enrich themselves. Uh, certainly others who are not Americans, um, you know, including the people that, that uh, ran the Federal Reserve, most of them are, are not American families. Um, that, that uh, listen, man, it, the only way I can explain it is um, when you look at the history of eugenics from the Gates family and many of these other, other people, and if you look at the root, of eugenicists, uh, these people believe in that they they are uh, of a higher DNA than the rest of, of the world, and they don't feel that we almost deserve to live. And Gates has absolutely said he's a eugenicist. Uh, he wants population control. Uh, he on, on Africans, which is documented, you know, giving them um, so-called vaccines and then making them uh, sterile. They're sterilizing the continent, basically, is what they were in the process of doing. And those doing it. So, you know, that's the thing. You know, people people want to historic. Um, you know, the the Gigi, um met on black males in this country from thirty two to nineteen seventy two. Uh, they wanted to see what happened 
when syphilis went untreated and American men, black men, and it was, it, it, it got exposed finally. That's, well, and, that's a historical perspective on what these people do. Right. And that's the, and that's the problem. There's so much that has like, there's so much that's thrown at you every day in terms of media and content to be able to sift through what's true and what's not, even knowing the things that happened in the past, you know, even like CIA's involvement in, in JFK, Martin Luther King, all these right, kinds right. of things. Like, we know these things happened. They've admitted it, but still you, you know, the, the safer person inside of you wants to go, no, 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 no. It's what they're saying. It is. I don't want it. Like you it's, almost don't want thing. it because you know, you're going to find answers. So you just, it's like a, a cognitive dissonance almost, you know? It is. It is cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, the vast majority of people talking about maybe, maybe, um, maybe professional fighting is what unlocked in my brain the ability to think like they do and, and figure out their next steps. Um, uh, because all my gut feeling has always been correct on a lot of, on almost everything that we've been proven correct over and over and over, um, as time goes by, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, as I said, I had it in January. Uh, my, my wife and kids had it in January. My whole, almost my whole production crew got it in January when we did a show down in New Mexico at the Route 66 casino. Uh, we flew in on Thursday, did the show Friday, flew out Saturday, and by Sunday afternoon, all the guys from all around the country were getting sick. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, brought it home to my wife and kids. And now, now when I was saying that on my show or saying it on Twitter or saying it anywhere else, everybody called me a, a tinfoil hat wearer. And now even CNN just today, as uh, research comes out that this was happening long before they told us that it, that it was COVID-19. I went, no shit. Yeah. But uh, Pat, is there any part of yeah. you that thinks maybe this, maybe cause I, I'm open to hearing this and I'm, I'm learning a lot right now, but is there any chance that, that maybe they're telling the truth and this is just. <laughs> Not a, not a, not a cell in my body. I mean, there's not a, there's no, no chance of thinking maybe this is just a disease that no one expected and, and it really did happen because of a bat left the lab and, and now. Well, here it is. Look at this. Let me, let me show you. Uh, let me, sh- let me see and I'll find. Well, the, the truth part is that this, this is, is legitimately a bad disease. This is just some of my notes. Like I, I researched this consistently, but if you go through. The history of, like the history of pandemics. Um, this thing is a midget compared to the rest of the pandemics that are. Uh, this thing has killed what 150,000 globally so far in eight nine months. That's because yeah. that's how long it's been out. 150,000, a small one, uh, by by standards, kills a million. Well. Uh, Right, and again, I think they're less cons- they're less concerned about people actually dying as they are about infrastructure failing, like hospital infrastructure failing. Because if that many people are getting sick, oh, but the hospitals, hey, bro, <laughs> uh, everything videos yeah, from all are. over the in a lot of areas they are. This is true. I've got I've got nurses and doctors messaging me constantly because Joe, who listened to my show from all over the country. And they're going, dude, they're taking nurses off left and right. Nobody in the hospitals. 
because none of us are out getting hurt, getting in car wrecks, right. uh, getting hurt doing yard work, falling off of swings uh, that kids do when they're playing outside, shit like that. So my my thing is, is you know, Asian flu in, in one year uh, from 56 to 7, whatever, killed 2 million people. The, the Hong Kong flu killed a million in 1968. You know, the, the AIDS pandemic, 36 million in a couple of years. You know, so I, I can go on and on, but this, this coronavirus is a midget comparatively. So that's just one more, uh, you know, the, if I was an attorney in a court of law, I would go, this is just one more piece of evidence to show you that this is not about a pandemic. It is about a financial collapse and, and, and literally scooping up all assets, um, to own everything. So, but, but, but Pat, though, when you say like the, uh, the, the government was, 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 was going to collapse, right? Wasn't the U.S. economy doing better than it's ever been? Like, why would not if you pay, not 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 if you paid attention to the behind the scenes? The the derivatives mark the derivatives uh, bubble was four times the size of the globe the entire global economy. The you know um, as I said, the bank stocks, global bank stocks were absolutely headed off a cliff. Um, you know, what's on the surface, that's the problem. Everybody looks at what's on the surface, not what's underneath. Um, you know, people are to Peter Schiff, who was the economist that called the 2008 collapse when every economist was laughing at him. We've had him on my show several times and he, and he, he described it perfect, perfectly. He said, everybody's paying attention because the media is doing such a masterful job of, of, uh, you know, confusing people that the, the, the COVID-19 is the needle. And they're focused on the needle. They're not focused on the global banks and the derivatives bubble and everything else. This is the bubble. They're all focused on the needle, not the real problem. And the real problem is coming. The real problem is coming uh, very, very soon because you can't inject, you know, they're not telling you the amounts exactly. Uh, Peter Schiff says $12 trillion into the economy. You can't do that without completely devaluing the American dollar. I mean, chicken and eggs and things like that have already doubled in price that I've noticed because sometimes I do do the shopping. So uh, when you have hyper, when you have hyperinflation, you know, you end up with a situation like Zimbabwe where you needed a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a loaf of bread. Now, do you think, uh, cause some people I'm reading, I'm watching a lot of these videos and these conspiracy videos that they think that eventually this is their way of getting one world economy of like, one dollar system or one is do you think that's going to happen well here's the thing um you know they they attempted in the original uh, stimulus package to put in there that the federal reserve was going to create a digital currency um you don't want digital currency you don't want that kind of control uh so they pulled that out that that got that got uh pushed back out uh, i think it got a lot of pushback uh, from a few politicians or they did it to test it and then saw the citizens freak out and then pulled it back out. Now in this second round, uh, where they're, where they're doing a half trillion, like another half trillion, whatever, they're trying to put it back in. And if that passes, then the Federal Reserve can create digital currency. And then you go to a, essentially if it's Federal Reserve and, and the European central banks and all of that sort of stuff, then you essentially have besides the BRIC nations, which is, uh, Brazil and a few others. Um, it's, it's always been this battle between the central bankers and the BRIC nations. When once China seven or eight years ago, whatever it was, started using uh, the yuan to buy oil and, and other goods instead of the American dollar, that's when you knew the American dollar was doomed. And that's, that's really, you know, kind of explains from a historical perspective about it. 
Now you have a wife and three daughters. Do, 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 are they still talking to you right now, or, or do they think that you lost your mind? Actually, um, you know what? Uh, my wife, my wife gets it. My wife gets it. She's you know a doctor of chiropractic. She's a very very smart woman. She doesn't you know she doesn't want just like anybody who has a good heart. She doesn't want to believe that this stuff is true. She prays that it's not true, but unfortunately, you know, she knows it is. My my two high school daughters. Um, you know, they, they've, they've paid attention. They've paid attention. And, um, I mean, these two kids, um, have made their teachers cry in high school uh, during debates because they're so educated on so much of the subject matter, um, and put their, put their high school teachers to shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one, in one case, um, a Spanish teacher actually cried and left the room. Wow. Did you get deported? Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. You still got it. You still got it. Um, now, as far as, uh, now, how do you think Trump's doing with this whole thing? Who, you know, is Trump who he said he was? Um, if, if he kills the federal reserve and creates a gold backed treasury note, um, then he, then he is who he says, um, if he does. And we create a gold backed treasury note at this point or a something, sure. something back. Sure. Well, there enough, and the, there enough gold. Nope. Yeah, yeah. The people that are saying we don't have any gold is uh, shit. Man, uh, yeah. a lot of so does China. Act along with with gold. Um, a couple of years back, once they made the move, I went, oh shit, it's on, it's on, right? So, um, if if Trump does that, and he he took he took all the free or into the treasury, the head of you know, uh, the head of the, the Federal Reserve also. So Mnuchin um, still technically is the boss of things, but he has to handle Trump. So Trump is now uh, in control of that. So if if he does Federal Reserve, absolutely, Treasury note, then, um, I mean, in very language, we are up without a paddle. Now, are you worried for your own safety that someone's going to knock on your door and kick you out or something, or... Uh... Nope. Or, or possibly lose jobs because sometimes like LFA doesn't want, or not LFA, but other people might be like, well, we don't want a guy that's sort of, you know, and, you know, sometimes I know in, in Hollywood, people are afraid to have your opinion. Um, look, man, here's, um, you know, who, who believe what I'm saying to you. They're afraid to say it themselves, but they know it's true. And I think that there's, I've got a lot of good friendships with people and this is not a political stance. That's the thing. Um, this is not a, a, a left or right leaning stance. This is an American for the country keeping any semblance of sovereignty at all, uh, yeah. from control of, of the globalist, uh, you know, for don't understand it. That's fine. If you don't, you know, if you don't want to try and absorb what I'm saying, no problem. Uh, this isn't me hating on Republicans because right now, uh, the guys on both sides are are absolutely compromised and bought and paid for. They owe the banks. They owe the banks, a lot, and they are lockstep with one, at least the politicians is what I'm saying. So, um, give you an idea. We had a guest who worked for Bear Stearns. We had a couple of days ago um, while he was sitting in uh, sitting in his office. He was working with um, the son. Of gosh, uh, uh, D'Amato, D'Amato from New York, 
Yeah. And then Patrick and then Patrick Moynihan was the other looking one was a Democrat. Right. And he was at Bear Stearns working with the uh, son. Um, D'Amato comes walking in, gives his own son a, a hug and a kiss week, and then goes in to talk to the boss at Bear Stearns. Then the next, like, he goes literally five minutes later, Moynihan, and Moynihan had been slain in the, in, in the media. The criminal is that. Boy, just a, uh, Moynihan walks in five gives the son a hug, kiss on does the same uh, to Alphonse Otto. And so our guest told us, he goes, was that? What the hell is going on here? And he goes, and Otto's son goes, that's stupid. These guys are best friends, man. They yeah. golf, they drink. You could See, that's the thing I, I think right now is that people think, if you're a Trump supporter, and I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a, I wasn't a Bernie supporter and I'm not a, you know, a Biden supporter. I just sort of like figure, I try to figure out who the best person is for my life, you know, and then vote on that. I'm sort of an independent, but it's yeah. like, but it seems like the conversation, if you even say I support Donald Trump, people hate you. They don't ask you why or what is it about Donald Trump or what is it? They, they just, and then, you know, on the other side too, if you say, oh, I'm going to vote for Biden. Oh, blah, blah. So it's like, you can't even have a conversation anymore without getting attacked on both sides, which is such bullshit. Yeah. No, it's, it is. It's very sad. And the American people are on all of this stuff, unfortunately. So, it, you know, I think that here's what we've talked about too on is, you know, we, we were talking about that a long time ago, long before he got arrested, all the stuff and the shit he was doing. Um, and he gets arrested and he's a walking dead, going to be dead. And, and he ends up dead and they call it a, a suicide. And yeah, yeah, yeah. many conspiratorial thinkers are saying, no way, no way, murder, murder, murder. Well, those that a little deeper will realize that this was the, everything he was doing was uh Mossad operation to compromise and, and blackmail the hell out of uh, powerful people and people within uh, influence. And I don't, I mean, I honestly don't even believe he's dead, frankly. Um, he could be. But I think, I think I, I, I honestly, Bellator next year. I, I don't believe he's dead. No, I, I honestly think he's in, he's fighting for uh, Bellator against Tank Abbott. Uh, in, uh, <laughs> but, he, but the thing is, here's the thing. Uh, so uh, millions of Americans got red-pilled with that happening, right? Now, with this going on, um, it's a little too late, unfortunately, I think, in many ways. But uh, millions, millions more are getting red-pilled hard. Or said the red pill right now. So anyway, uh, speaking of red pill, we got Matt Snell here, uh, who uh, an awesome fighter. He's 5-1 and one in his last six fights. Uh, you're here with the legend, Pat Miletich. Uh, well, you, you were LFA champion, right? Or LFC back in the day? It was legacy. But yeah. yeah, back, yeah. back in legacy, as well as yeah. Tyler Smith. How are you doing with the whole quarantine? Now, it, look, it looks like your whole place got raided. Is everything okay with you? Well, we just moved in. I just moved into a new home. So uh, I just had a little girl, a newborn baby. So she's oh, congrats. Old now. So uh, the quarantine's been okay with us. The time's gone by uh, pretty quickly. But, yeah, just trying to settle in. How old how is your baby now? She's two months old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, Pat has three kids. I have a little daughter. It's it's the best. I honestly wanted a boy. I do a joke. I wanted a boy, so hopefully my kid will grow up and become a a, a lesbian because they make the best fighters because they make the tightest fists. <laughs> um, but 
So, but I, I, I hear you, man. So, by the way, so your, your last fight, you were doing great. You just got caught. Is that what happened? Uh, I, I guess so. Uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to fight against, uh, your inner instincts. And I, I feel like I've, I'm typically a guy that starts quick and he started fast on me and I was just fighting from behind the whole fight and kind of lost focus and, and just, it wasn't my night. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow, but you know, I'm a banger. I, I, I think I do my best when I calm down and see my shots, but I was just in the moment. I was trying to get it done. And it got done to me. You ever, you ever have a fight like that, Pat, where you, you just kind of – the guy started a little quicker than you? Uh, you know what? I, I was always a slow starter. You know, to be honest with you, I would deliberately slow those guys down um, and figure them out and get timing and stuff like that. So, um, I, for the most part, uh, besides my lat Hume, they stopped it. And, um, and he was probably the most intelligent fighter certainly that I ever fought, maybe the most intelligent um, technicians ever ever in the sport. But he, he was a guy who me and, yeah, and yeah. did it. Yeah. Now, but that, that, now the, the, uh, the Matt Limlin fight, that was stopped way too quickly. I mean, they were – Well, the thing, uh, the thing was by then I didn't even want to fight because uh, that's when – I had the automatic rematch clause for welterweight against Carlos Newton. If I, if I would have, uh, as all it win uh, a fight at welterweight and then I got an automatic rematch, uh, with Carlos Newton and they, uh, they kind of reneged on that and told me that if I didn't move up to 185 pounds, which, you know, that's about what I weighed, to be honest with you, 187, 190, um, that, that basically I was done. And so I went, wait a minute, I can't for like, almost four years total uh, with the tournament win included. And they're just throwing me in a garbage can. They don't give a shit. So I realized at that moment, uh, the business of professional sports is ugly. And I, I kind of just like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, also heard that, I also heard that he didn't shower and he smelled really bad. Did you just want to, did you just want out of there? It seemed like you were just like, get me the fuck out of this. Cage. Well, when, when, you know, the good thing was when he came to train with us after he beat me, um, we sparred and I knocked the living shit <laughs> just to, just to pay him back a little bit. That's awesome. Uh, he's a tough dude, man, though. He was, he was, he was a really tough, um, uh, you know, it was like having an octopus on you. He's a very skilled guy. Now, Matt, uh, no, where are you, where are you training at now? Are you still in New Orleans? No, I, I live in Houston. Well, I live in, uh, I live in Atascacita, Texas. So it's like a suburb of Houston. And uh, I've been out here for a little while now, but I've been doing my camps at Combat Sports Academy and American Kickboxing Academy for the last four fights. Oh, nice! Are you uh, training with uh, with uh, Khabib out there? Uh, he's been on the mat before. I mean, he's—I've never really trained with him. Uh, gotcha. He's a good bit bigger than me. I would. That'd be fun. But uh, I've been there when he's been on the mats, and uh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, you're going to the right. You're going to the right places, definitely. Yeah. Um, now, what sucks about that that loss is that it was in Korea, so that that flight home must have been brutal. Like, did you take what, like three Ambien's? Like, how do you get? Yeah, uh, not much sleep on the flight home. It it wasn't wasn't a great time. Yeah, difficult oh. to deal with. It, it's been rough, but uh, it, you know, it's it's part of it. And I, <clears throat> it's interesting. And everybody here fights and understands that we take oh. those L's and they hurt so bad, but 
after you after you stack a couple W's on top of it, you look back at it and think it, it's a good thing. So. Oh, you had you had, you had you had five wins in a row. I mean, some some big wins too. In the so. UFC, man, we were right there, uh, close close to really. You know, and I, I think uh, sometimes I let that stuff stack up against me. Sometimes I think about that stuff too much, and I'm I'm a I'm of caliber to beat anybody. You know, I can beat all these guys. But, You're ranked uh, ninth in the world, dude. Ninth in the world, like that's pretty freaking good, especially for a kid that was on an MTV show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So and, and a kid that took L's in Legacy. Uh, Pat remembers me t- getting beat in Legacy, and I, I stormed back sure. and I came back and became the champion. And I, I still think I can do that. So I, yeah, that's I, how it's done, man. Learn, learn from, learn from those setbacks, right? Yeah. Did your wife at least give you a couple of handies on the way home from Korea to make it? My wife home? was here. She was back at home. She was freaking eight months pregnant. So oh, God. You know. you're not going to get any sympathy from her, huh? No sympathy. <laughs> yeah, we had to come get that done when I got home. So no, it was all good. It was all good. Now, are you training during the quarantine? I'm doing my best to stay busy. Not much training. I've got a newborn, so I'm taking all the precautions, you know, and I'm not trying to uh, rock the boat. My wife is also a nurse, so uh, she's kind of in my ear about this thing, and, and we're taking the precautions. But I'm doing my best to stay in shape. I brought, bought me a little bag for outside, and I crack on that a couple hours a day maybe, and I've, I've been uh, running some miles which I've not done in a while. So I've been challenging myself with that. I'm trying to stay busy as best I can. Now, according to Pat, we need to take back our government. Uh, we need to go outside any means necessary and just dojo storm fr- stores and stuff. Just if you get arrested, fuck it. All right. You want to be a true American? You got to take back this government. All right. Uh, are you willing to do what Pat Militich says? I, I'll uh, tell you this. I am a conservative, Pat Militich. And uh, <laughs> I understand the different points of view. Uh, my, my wife is a nurse, so she's on the front line, so obviously she understands the idea. Yeah, no, having a, having a newborn, I mean, obviously that's a vulnerable individual just as elderly or people with pre-existing conditions. So it does make sense for you to not get exposure. Yeah, but, that's kind of what we are. but Pat, but, uh, but Pat, you, right. Pat, Pat, you said you get your fill of big government controls yet? Too bad. they just begun. You think people are being sheep? Look, dude, don't be a sheep, all right? Get out to be a wolf, all right? Get your fucking training in. Now, I mean, Pat, don't you think these kids are pussies now? Like, back in the day, you put 85 pounds up. You had fucking – oh, I'm, I'm kidding. Who was, the, who, who was the guy that was the biggest surprise for you? Was it Tim Sylvia? Because – Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Tim Tim couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. He'd cry when, <laughs> when we'd make him jump rope and shit, you know, and he'd cry after every practice because everybody beat the shit out of him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I remember, you know, and I won't take too long on this because, uh, I want Matt to be able to talk. Yeah. The, the, the fact that, uh, you know, at one time, Jeremy Horn, Jens Pulver and Matt Hughes all came into my office and said, dude, tell this guy to leave. He sucks. You know, this, this guy's awful. And he cries every fucking practice and we're just sick of this shit. And I go, tell him to go home because he tries so hard. You know, he, he truly tries. And then, he got his first fight underneath us and he won. And then he got another fight and he won. And then he started steamrolling everybody. And I'm going, this guy turns into a total, he's a gamer. He's a gamer. Like in, in the, you know, some guys are good in the practice room and suck under the lights. Total reverse with Tim. Tim would just turn into a different guy and go out and wreck shop. Was it a, do you think he thought he was just outclassed by, by the other guys? 
And um, like, maybe it was like, I'm so big, so I can't just use my size and lay on them. But no, that, no, because that, I mean, me. look, man, uh, Jens Pulver used to big brother him. Uh, I mean, poor Tim. When Tim was new on the team, Tim paid his own way out to Las Vegas when Matt was fighting out there. And it was Jens and I and a couple of the other guys who were veterans and we're walking through the casino and, and Tim's just, he's just walking with us. He's behind us walking with us. And he had just moved there from Maine, you know, not long before that. And, and Jens stopped, turned around. Jens was just a harsh, a harsh guy. And he turned around to, to Tim and he goes, why the fuck are you still here? Get out of here. Leave us alone. And Tim just, you know, moped away. And I was like, dude, what? I look. I go, dude, leave the poor guy alone. And so then Tim came up to me uh, the next day down in Vegas, and he goes, man, why, why is Jen so mean to me? And I go, because you let him. I go, you're big enough to eat hay and shit in the middle of the road, and you're letting a 145-pound, 155-pound guy tell you, tell him to shut up. And then he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wait. Oh, cool. Just stood up for himself. I mean, Jake Ellenberger used to tell me stories, Pat, that you guys would have, like, a fight club. That he would go down there, and, like, Tuesdays and Thursdays, it was sparring for, like, three hours. And it was just guys beating the living shit out of each other. Did no, you- that's, it, was, it, was, it was Wednesday nights was hard sparring evening. Every Monday night was sparring with takedowns. Tuesday was grappling, uh, sometimes takedowns, of course, things like that. Um, and then Thursdays was grappling again. Saturdays was light technique sparring, um, things like that. But Wednesday nights, there were several times where I said, um, "Rooms too, rooms too full. There's too many people in here that shouldn't be in here." I said, "It's then the herd night. Then the herd night. If you get if you get if you get knocked out, you're done. You got to go back to beginners class." And that was just the way it was. And it wasn't because I was a lot. I was an asshole because of that, but more about because fighters would come from all over the world and train with us. They'd start training with us on a Monday, and by Wednesday after practice, they're like, "Man, this is not for me. This is this is insane." Because we had forty guys ranked in the top ten in the world uh, in different weight divisions, and so it was just no matter who you grabbed, you were you were going to have a really hard night. And there were people who were big fish in a, in a little pond, come from their gym, being the best guy, and they weren't ready for that because the room was ninety five degrees, and you got a bunch of killers in there that that uh, were used to that and dealing with that level of person. So that, you know, we had pro boxers coming in that, that were incredible world-class boxers. We had world-class kickboxers, world-class rust, world-class jiu-jitsu guys, best guys in jiu-jitsu in the world would come in um, to train with these guys and stuff. So everybody was just used to it, you know, so that, that's just kind of how it, how it went. But I had a guy, um, you know, one time go, dude, watched what you did to that guy. Um, I can't remember who the guy was. I sparred with some. Uh, pro boxer and uh he was probably a middle of the road pro boxer and and i dropped a couple times with liver shots and other stuff and and uh he goes you're an asshole you're, you're flat out an asshole and i go well listen uh here's the deal i was raised in iowa wrestling rooms um work ethic is is paramount and toughness is paramount and i also watched a kid die who was not my student just at the fights as a as a guest when i was a ufc champion um, where I was just brought in, paid to show up at a kickboxing match in Chicago. And I watched a kid die in the ring because he was not trained correctly and he was not conditioned correctly. And so I said to everybody who would bring that up with me, I go, I don't want to have to explain to somebody's parents or wife why their, why their son or husband is dead or in a coma because I didn't do a proper job of training him and weeding out the people 
that did not belong in the cage. Matt, did you ever knock anybody out in sparring? Yes. Who? Give us who? Give us names, Matt. I I mean various training partners I've I've heard uh, training and sparring. I I wouldn't feel right giving out names, but things got rough at American. I trained at American Top Team for a long time, and I've banged it out with big guys, uh, good guys as well. Uh, and and I, I knocked out a couple guys at American Top Team. Now was that a, was that a way for you to be like I'm not one to be fucked with? Like guys were kind of test you, like you were like the new guy, and they were like let's bully him around, and you're like no, you, you can't do that to me. So the last day it happened, I was kind of taking a whipping, and I it, it was just I was in a camp and. Uh, I was training hard every single day. In an American Top Team, you can really run yourself down if you're not careful. So I think I was just in, in a rut. And guy, a, a guy I trained with all the time, he was just beating on me that day. And he was kind of playing this low hands type of thing, and I just planted my foot and, and put one on him and, yeah, knocked him out. And uh, it, it was okay. a day that I was getting whipped up. That was, that was the last time I can remember it happening. Too. Now when that happens, do the coaches go – break it up and they run in and like revive the guy or is it just like no one even bats an eye well he went down pretty hard but he he kind of wobbled back up on on le- wobbly legs he was willing to keep fighting they did stop it and this is what's interesting i uh it's kind of funny they did stop it and they didn't let him spar i think i finished up the round with somebody else and he took like two rounds off and at att you you spar rounds standing up you go pretty hard and then at the end you grapple uh three, five-minute rounds, something like that. So he took the rest of the spar rounds up, came back grappling, and then smashed me the rest of the grappling. So it wasn't even over, you know. It was uh, – Was it Was it, Was it? it Luke Rockhold? No. Never, never trained with Luke Rockhold. He's big boy too, shoot. Yeah, I was, I was saying. Uh, I was going to write a joke that Luke says he got the itch to fight again, but he scratched it and fell down. Yeah. <laughs> but but he's sensitive you know like i have to be like uh he's a little sensitive like that's that? so cold i i know it's like, <laughs> but i was like ah man um yeah some jokes i think are better for the stage like like i did a joke how uh you know they opened up georgia they opened up the georgia nail salons which i think black women are going to be safe because their nails are six feet long now if i was <laughs> If I would have tweeted that, people would have been like, but, but, when that's I say a good it on live stage, joke. Yeah, that's people, a good live joke. That's a good, that's a good live joke. I wonder, At a black club. I'll say that live. I don't know if I'll say that. I'll say, I'll, sometimes you got to be careful when you, uh, when you tweet stuff. So, so, all right. So, what do you think about this Fight Island? Are you willing to fight on Fight Island? Definitely. Yeah. yeah you're from Louisiana, right? I would love it. Yeah. It'd be great. I'll, I'll train outside. Who, who cares? Go fight on Fight Island. That'd be great. I'm in Texas, you know. It's freaking Fight Island anyways outside. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Now, 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 Pat, so there's a story going around that you wanted to fight Tank Abbott on the street. Uh, Tank Abbott said he was judging a wet T-shirt contest. Didn't feel right doing that because he didn't want to exploit women. That was a little suspect <laughs> right there. So he just went home. You said that you chased him out of the club. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, it was, it was, I can't remember which UFC it was offhand now. We were, I think it was Biloxi, Mississippi, somewhere down there. And, uh, so we were at a club, all the fighters were at a club and we were with our camps and stuff and everybody was having some drinks and Tank was out on the dance floor and he was, he was, uh, you know, had his shirt off, whatever, dancing, dancing, uh, with some women and, you know, Tank, I just, I figured, you know, 
I'm going to mess with this guy a little bit. So I, I, I was dancing out there and I'd back up deliberately into him and I'd smash into him a couple times here and there. And uh, I couldn't get a rise out of him. I couldn't, I couldn't get him to do anything. And so, uh, <laughs> who knows if he would have clubbed me from behind, I probably would have went to sleep, obviously, because he did hit hard. But so later on, he had gone around. There was a railing, a drink railing between the dance floor and the bar side of things. And he was on the other side talking about Marowitz. And I was talking to, I walked up and started talking about Marowitz and I looked at Tank and I go, Hey man, good fight tonight. He had won. And he hand, he face palmed my, my face with his hand and he shoved me backwards. He goes, get out of my face. And so I went, I called him a fat piece of shit and I said I was going to kick his ass. So we started, he started walking down the railing and I started walking down the railing and I figured once we got to the end, we'd just turn toward each other and start scrapping. Well, he took a right turn and went out the door with, with his two boys. And, uh, I went to go out and Ken Gabrielson, who was the first American to get a black belt under the Gracies, grabbed me by the arm and he goes, dude, don't go out there and get in trouble. And I go, I got, don't worry, I got this. So I went outside and they were jogging down the street. They already had a good block and a half start on me. So I took off running and I was calling him names and I'm chasing him, chasing him. And, and it was like three blocks away was our hotel. So I got to the hotel. I went inside and there was Jerry Bolander. And I go, Jerry, you see Tank? And he goes, yeah, he just came in and they got in the elevator and went upstairs. So, you know, that was the story. Yeah. And Tank says, Tank says that I'm full of shit, that I wasn't chasing him. And there's a couple, else. there's a couple like holes to the story. Number one, Tank Abbott running. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's, that's number one. And, and did he have the biggest tits on the, on the dance floor? Cause he had a shirt off. So he probably, he, well, I, I wasn't impressed with the, with the hair coming off of him, but yes, he did. Yes. Um, but here's the thing. I, when, I don't know, you know, when I've always, I've recognized that Crow have a screw loose, all of us. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's in our blood. So, um, you know, that's, that's just the way we are, bro. So yeah, he, if I was going to jog, it's when a, when a drunk Croatian's mad and chasing you probably. Of, of course, of course. <laughs> That's hilarious. I fucking, I, I, I love that. Now you were going to fight Michael Nunn in kickboxing next week or something? June 6th. We had pushed it back long before this hit, uh, because of conflict. The athletic commission had a conflict and open dates with arenas and all that sort of stuff. So it's still set for June 6th. It may have to get pushed back again. Michael Nunn went to jail for 10 years or something, right? He was a world champion boxer. He was, well, he was the best pound for pound boxer in the world for four years. He's from my area. And trained at the same boxing gym that I did um, here in Iowa at Pena's, Pena's Boxing Gym. Uh, but he, I mean, the best guys in the world would not fight him, you know, after they saw what he was doing to everybody. Um, I know. Are you in kickboxing shape? Um, I will be. I absolutely will be. That, that's yeah. awesome. I'll, I'm definitely going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. Matt Snell, do you have any fighting Tank Abbott stories? No, no fighting. I wish I did. I'm just, I'm just taking it all in. These are great. <laughs> have, have you ever wanted to fight a pro fighter outside the, the octagon or the cage? I can't say I have. Uh, I, I typically, I try and keep it cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's I, a good thing. That's a good you know, thing. Coming up, I, I feel like I did fight, and I've always kind of been a rough kid. I'm not afraid of confrontation, but I've, I've always tried to keep it pretty civil uh, with, with comings and goings and not not being about to fight somebody i don't know it's never come to that that's that's good that's a good thing man you know i think it's that you're a a, a millennial see pat's an old school guy i mean that was the wild west that was the golden era of mma you know that's how it should have been that's a that was a different breed of, of guys you know 
It like Pat, first time Pat cut weight was at the Last Supper. That's how <laughs> old he is. His first sponsor was Fire. Okay, that's that's, <laughs> that's how old you know Pat's the you know he's he's an old, he's an old school guy. You can watch his fights on the History Channel. That that's how old school Pat is. You know, you you guys is no offense, but you're you know you're 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 on TikTok and this and that. You know, he was on Tic Tac Toe. That's fucking how. That's how. Old he is. But, this, this dude, but I, I hear you. It's two generations. If it wasn't for Pat, there wouldn't be guys for you. And but you, but you're, you're, but you're a throwback fighter. I mean, you're all action, Matt. Yeah. Try to be. Yeah. I, I only know one way, and that's to, that's to fight. But now, weren't you at American Top Team for a while? I trained at American Top Team for four, four years. I think uh, I took an L in Legacy, and I moved to American Top Team, and I, that's when I won the, the title. And I trained at American Top Team until I got on the Ultimate Fighter. And then I started training out in California after the Ultimate Fighter because I met Kieran Fitzgibbons, and he's the yeah. head coach of CSA. Were you living in the uh, dorms at American Top Team? I did. I lived in the dorms for a little bit. Now, it's crazy, right? There's no marijuana. Didn't, like, guys get kicked out for marijuana? And- I did. Actually, when I was on the podcast, <laughs> we talked about this before, yeah. But, like, dude, don't smoke weed, and you're that's freaking stupid. You can go outside and smoke weed. Like, you get kicked out and you smoke weed in your dorm. You dummy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, Walt Harris and then, uh, and then somebody else. It was, uh, Todd Duffy got kicked out, right? Like these guys. These guys I, I know both those goofs pretty well. And it's like, don't, don't smoke weed in your room, dog. Come on now. Now, Pat, you were on the same high school wrestling team as Mark Kerr. Um, did you know back then that this guy was going to one day be a world champion? No, I mean, he was a freshman and all, all the wrestling guys. I was a senior, um, at the time. And so, you know, everybody, a lot of the seniors picked on, on Mark actually. And I always, honestly, I just felt I, I got along with his brother real well also. And, uh, you know, I liked him. I liked him a lot. He was a nice kid. And, you know, I told, I told the older guys a lot of times I'd stick up for him. I'd say, leave the kid alone, man. Quit quit beating him up and and stuff. Because where I grew, where, where I grew up, Bettendorf, Iowa, I mean, it's, it's a hotbed for wrestling, even by Iowa standards. I mean, we have a, had a lot of monsters. And at any given time in my hometown, I've been like the 20th, maybe the 20th toughest guy in, in a town of 40,000, 35, 40,000 people. I mean, there's a lot of badasses that come from my hometown. So, um, but I had no, he, he was such a nice guy that no, I didn't, I never foresaw him becoming a fighter. Yeah. That was crazy. Is that? <clears throat> I look at like a bizarro universe, right? Where he lost to Kurt Angle by one point for the, for the Olympic trials. Kurt right. goes on to win the gold medal. Mark goes on to go pride, right? One yeah. point. So what if he would have won by one point? What if he got that takedown? Would Kurt Angle went to pride and would Angle have won the gold medal? Like, I just think like that one point, their whole universes might have just been totally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Angle. Certainly could have, have been a great fighter, but the problem was he, you know, he had a, a trash neck. Um, even during the Olympics, he won a gold medal with a completely trash neck. So the fact that, that he made it that far with that neck, um, it probably wouldn't have lasted in fighting. Who, um, then he went up and had a crazy WWF, WWE career. Yeah. And it was like doing even worse, way worse. I would rather right. take a punch than fly off the top ropes into a table. Yeah, you know, it's that's the that's the scary thing about it. But the the punch you don't see is the one that paralyzes you when you've got a bad neck, right? True, right. Now, who was who was a guy that um you wish 
Like, I, I mean, I hate to say Melvin Gallard would be like a good example, but you just wish he would have, like he had all the talent in the world, but just the distractions of the girls or the drugs or the parties being at, at like, at like Pat Meltich camps. Who was the guy that you were just like, oh, I wish he would have had a big brother or something? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, of a tragic story is Justin Eilers. Um, he was, he was shot and killed by his stepfather on Christmas, e- uh, Christmas evening or Christmas Eve. Um, when he went back to visit his mother, uh, back out in Idaho and he was real good friends with, um, with Jens Pulver. They were real good buddies. And, uh, you know, he was just, he, he was not real coachable, uh, would lose his temper real easy, not listen to advice and, and just very, very, uh, volatile personality. <clears throat> and he was a guy that, that I really w- wish would have listened because he was a, he came from, uh, he played football at Iowa State University. They called him the Uber. And uh, I think he might still hold the sack record for Iowa State University, but he was an All-American linebacker at Iowa State. He was an incredible athlete. Um, just he just uh, wasn't wasn't necessarily the easiest to coach, though. Yeah, no, no, there, there's so many guys that I wish the LFA and the UFC would do a better job of telling their stories. You got a guy like Alonzo Minifield who went to like 30 different group homes. It was yeah. like adopted by a Christian. <clears throat> people from Africa at like 15, him and his brother. Now he's undefeated with like nine knockouts. Like, but no one knows that they put him out. Alonzo Minerfield. You just like, like no one gives him. He's so squared away too, man, because of his, his experiences in life. Um, He's a very humble guy. He's a a, a very good, very good dedicated athlete. And uh, you can tell, you know, um, you can tell where he holds his standards and morals in life in general. And that's, that's a good, a really good thing. And he's, he's a great example for a lot of the young guys coming up. And that's what I like about LFA though, is that they, you, they let you guys be fun. Like there was a guy, the Baker who wore a Baker hat. Yeah. Then uh, the Baker. Yeah. He would show up as like, and he was a Baker in real life. So like, but that's to me, that's like, a, that's what I like about Bellator. They go a little bit too much, I think into it with like too much WWE but I think there has to be something that, because I think with, with Reebok having your guys' uniforms, you guys all look the same, you know? And I think that's a problem because, you know, I mean, you look at back in the day, Sokoju's outfits really stood out from like, he was, or certain guys, you were like, that's, you know, that's the, I don't know. It just seems like this is something that kind of differentiates some of the fighters. The, the UFC does have to be choosy with the stories they tell. They have such a big roster, you know, so I, I do kind of understand it from that aspect. Uh, and, and they, they kind of leave it up to you to, to break out, you know, if you want to these guys who get a fast rise, like I think before the UFC puts them on the fast track, they, they're already on the way, you know, yeah, but, Max, no, but that's, that's the problem, right? Because you're a fighter. Okay. Your job is to become a fighter and that's, a 24-hour job. It's hard enough to do what you do, right? Your job isn't to be your own publicist and to be this and that. That's another separate thing. And they have enough people in, in that thing. So Matt Schnell, okay, you won five in a row. Let's say you won the last fight. That's six in a row. But you're a nice guy. You're a hardworking guy. But they're really gonna, good-looking. You're a good-looking guy. But you're going to be there in that go. same category of, like, generic white guy. And that sucks. because. But So then guys then go out of their way to, like, like Colby Covington it where I'm the biggest Trump supporter in the world and I'm going to talk shit to everybody and everyone's like, Oh, I hate that guy. But they're like, well, he's selling tickets and it, you shouldn't have to do that. 
right. you know, because it is, it is a sport and it shouldn't be up to these guys to come up with gimmicks for yourselves. Yeah, I, I, I understand it. And like me, I understand. I kind of feel like I'm on the outside looking in sometimes as well, but you know, I, I'm just not willing to sell my soul to, to have a few extra thousand followers. You know, I, I yeah, I've got a newborn now. Like I've said before, I am a conservative as well, so I'm not going to be uh, a wild man out here. Uh, I've got a I've got a daughter. One day she'll be old enough to type my name into YouTube, and I don't want to have to explain to her some nonsense I said. So, so Pat, what's the answer, Pat? Tell us the answer. Well, I can tell you. I it's kind of interesting. I I wrote. Uh, I, I I was into a lot of. Um, script screenplay writing uh television show concept writing and i also wrote a plan for a mixed martial arts model for a company um and i got it actually from the local grocery stores here that was started in southern iowa and and it grew and it put a lot of the the other companies out of business but they give shares of stock for that company to the employees as they stay on longer and longer and longer they get shares of stock and um, get get plans set up so that they can uh, live a good life after they're done working. So, uh, <clears throat> for for all intents and purposes, I used that model and talked to some of the people in corporate and and wrote a plan for a mixed martial arts organization that uh, that gave fighters the ones that were loyal and stayed around um, basically uh, be vested in stock options and things like that. And and I, I really never shopped it. Um, but it's, you know, it's on paper. And I think, you know, if, if I ran into uh, a couple millionaires and some billionaires, multi, you know, some wealthy people who wanted to start something that could compete and, and be successful, that would be it. But, but how does a guy like Matt Schnell get, because Matt Schnell won six out of seven. He's a badass fighter. He's just that. How does he get like a bigger wave? How, how does he get the push? Cause I know like WWE, Vince McMahon says, you're going to be gold dust and you're going to be the whatever and you're going to be whoever. Well, the UFC shouldn't have to do that. Right, right. Well, I mean, number one, he's a very good fighter, right? That's right. That's got to happen. Um, you know, but I would say that, you know, ultimately, you know, the Kim Kardashians uh, of the MMA rule, world, most of the time are flashes in the pan and they don't last very long. Every once in a while, sure, they stick around, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it just comes down to him. He's got to keep winning. He's got to be exciting as he is. And, and people are going to love him either way at that point, you know. So that's that's really what it comes down to. And uh, and when you're kicking people's asses and start demanding more money um, and start getting, you know, uh, you know, some dollars, some points on the on each pay-per-view buy, you know, you end up becoming um, independently wealthy and, and really it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I think at some point you got to take responsibility for – for who you are. My personality type maybe doesn't jump out to everybody. It's not the most uh, mm-hmm. uh, appealing thing to people. They want, they want to hear short little one-liners and Irish accents, you know, and I don't necessarily have that ability. Uh, I, I'm going to stick by who I am. And I, I think that over the long run, you know, I, I probably got another four or five good years in me. And by the, by the time it's all said and done, I will be more notable than I am now. But you guys start a little slower. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the same day with comedy. I'm like, yeah, I could kiss everyone's ass and go on the hot podcast and this and that and pretend to be, I'm a, uh, a big fan of, uh, taking Sleep your way to the top. fucking mushrooms and stuff. I know, but I'm saying I can go, I can, I can all of a sudden, but I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to interview who I want. I'm going to have the legends on 
and I'm going to be the comic I want. I'm not like before a while, all the comedy world was like storyteller comics. And I'm like, I don't like telling fucking stories. I get bored for my own story. Like I'm a joke teller. <laughs> and then it was like, all right, well, you got to do act outs and make funny noises. And I'm like, that's look, there are guys that do that. I'm just going to fucking tell as many jokes as I can jokes per minute. That's my style. And eventually people will come. And that's, kind of what's been working for me because right. people are like if I need jokes per minute, you know, but I, th- I think you're right. I think if you're, if you're a clout chaser, like if you chase trends, eventually you're, it's just not going to work. I, I think that uh, there's an interesting parallel between comedy and fighting. And I think that fighting is very much, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's, you, you're acting out who you are in the way that you fight and, and comedies like that and to sacrifice who you are and then go and fight like somebody else. It's, it's just hard to keep those things going for a long time. At some point, Colby Covington's going to have to sell the goat and, you know, come to terms with who he actually is. And I'm never going to have to do that. And I hope that over time that me as a person, people appreciate that. Think of a guy like uh, a good example is Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis was in the UFC for four years. Nobody knew who he was. And then he blows up. And uh, I'm not a heavyweight. I'm not Derek Lewis. But I like that story. Some people start slow. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Derek Lewis, baby. To- yeah, no, of course. I like Derek Lewis. Uh, so who do you think wins? All right, before we end, uh, Gaethje or Ferguson? If this happens, who who wins? Who goes? Pat. Pat, you go first. Say that again. Justin, oh, you were breaking up. Tony Ferguson or Justin Gaethje? Who wins? I think Gaethje wins, really. He's got a good chance. Ferguson's so technical, though. I mean, I, Ferguson's one of those guys that I watched training. I watched a tra- him training on a film, and I went, this guy's legit. Like, a long time ago, I went, this guy is this guy is truly dangerous. Gaethje's, Gaethje's pace is insane for most people. He can keep up with it. Boy, that's a, I, I mean, that's an insane fight. It's absolutely an insane fight. I mean, I, I don't, I've been around the sport so long as an athlete, as a coach and as a, as a broadcaster that I don't get excited, um, that easily unless I'm calling fights and, and know these guys personally and stuff where I get invested in those actual events that I'm calling. Um, dude, I don't even get pay-per-views. I mean, I don't even watch. I, I, most of the time I can go, all right, this guy's going to probably going to win this, that, whatever. But that's a fight that I would pay for. And that's, for me, that's saying something because I, I'm telling you, I don't pay for, for very many events. Would, uh, would, would you play with, would you pay with global currency or with actual dollars? Depends on what the globalists force us to do, brother. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, Matt Snell, who wins this fight? I also like Justin Gaethje in this fight. And I think that, uh, I think it's a great fight as well. I think Tony Ferguson's a wild man. I think what makes Tony Ferguson so difficult to deal with is that he doesn't even know his next move. So it's very difficult to game a guy like that or or to try to pick up on tendencies. What's Tony Ferguson's tendency? He doesn't have one. He's going to do twisting, jumping, wild stuff. So I think it catches up to him in this one. Gaethje can really crack, and I think he finds his mark. All right, and a final question, Pat. Uh, a fight that never happened. I was always a big f- uh, fan and friend of Kevin Randleman. He always wanted to fight Tito Ortiz. Who in, in, in that prime Kevin Randleman versus prime Tito Ortiz? Who wins that fight? Randleman ragdolls him uh, because Randleman was such a high-level wrestler and so explosive that Tito Tito needed wrestling to beat most people. He was a better wrestler than a lot of the. He wouldn't have that you know to uh, to Randleman. 
Uh, and then also you, you, and also you were there when Tito got knocked out, right? By uh, uh, that street fight Lee by, by Lee Murray. Yeah, I was uh, there. I mean, did he get like knocked out cold, or did he just get dropped? He got knocked out cold by Lee Murray by himself, and and uh, the 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 story is uh, Tito threw a combination at Lee. Lee ducked out of the way of every single punch. Landed a beautiful five-punch combo on Tito. I mean, you could hear just bone on bone, just vicious punches. <clears throat> Tito fell down on his face unconscious, and Lee started putting the boots to his head with steel-toed boots, mind you. And I, I was friends with Tito at the time, and I was training Lee at the time. So I grabbed Lee and said, Lee, stop. And he goes, all right, Pat, I'm out of here. And, you know, it's 5 a.m. in a London alley, and he took off, and, and uh, <clears throat> a bunch of, of – London police officers showed up and of course they don't have guns and you know, they're, they're walking around with their sticks and, and some cans of uh, pepper spray as big as fire extinguishers. And I said to the guy, I go, who's running the show? Who's running the show here out of you guys? And one of the English cops goes me. And I go, I'm just telling you right now, you probably don't, you're not aware of who you're dealing with. The whole alley was full of fighters. I mean, it was like 50 people, fighters, their coaches, training partners, and I go, if you start spraying these people with that, with that OC, with those OC canisters, you are going to get the fuck beat out of you. And I go, these are all, <laughs> these are all professional fighters, bro. Don't, don't even start. And he goes in his British accent. He's like, all right, you're in charge. Get them out of here. And that's what I did. I said, let's get out of here, man. So nobody goes to jail. I started talking to everybody. And, yeah, um, did you we, pick Tito up from the ground? And when he got, caught, we helped him up. Tony, Tony Fricklin and I helped him up. Absolutely. Did he, did he say what happened? Basically, yeah. Wow. Now, he yep. said, was he wearing his dress shoes? Because the, the rumor was he was wearing his dress shoes. Which was- <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't remember. Um, you know, he can, he can say what he wants. He got knocked out cold, and it is what it was. It, the sad thing was is that night um, and, and the consequences of Tito going back to Dana camp and all of Lee Murray's friends jumped him and his guys and beat him up uh, is what got Dana originally mad at me. Um, I got mad at Dana because Dana cut Tony Fricklin from the UFC because of that. Tony never threw a single punch. Um, I never threw a single punch. And, and that started that war between Dana and I, unfortunately, um, because he got lied to by Tito. Um, you know, I'm glad that all that stuff is, is water under the bridge now. Wait, so Tito and his friends came back and beat up Lee Murray. So what? Wait, so Tito and his friends came back and be- jumped Lee Murray and all, all, all his friends? No, no, no. That's the... That's the lie. The lie that Tito told Dana was that my camp and Lee's buddies and him jumped Tito and his guys. We all jumped him and beat him and his buddies up. And oh. that's not what happened. Because you had nothing to do with it. <clears throat> well, all it was was uh, Tito's buddy Bo jumped on my back and acted like he was choking me. But he wasn't choking me. I could, I could tell he was horsing around uh, because he wasn't choking me. His arm was around my neck. But Tony Fricklin, to him, it looked like Bo was on my back had me in a rear choke. So Tony ripped him off my back and said, what are you trying to do to my coach? And at that point, um, Bo started to yell at Tony because Tony ripped him off of me pretty forcefully. And, uh, and at that time, Lee's buddy, Paul, who was part of that big bank heist, uh, blasted Bo with a right hand and knocked him out un- uh, unconscious. And then the whole alley exploded. And then Tito went after Lee and then uh, Tito went down and then I, Wow. See, these, these are crazy Wild West MMA stories. They don't happen, right? Match now goes to the 
Yeah, Matt goes. Well, you know, everybody's got every, everybody's got everybody's got cell phone cameras. There's security cameras everywhere. You know, there's liability, and you know, uh, you know, everybody gets sued. You know, Matt, all of that shit. Up, Step it up. I mean, what do you do? You like, go to your camp, go home, you get to take a nap. I mean, Pardon me. I haven't left the house. I mean, everybody's quarantined, but I was quarantined <laughs> before the quarantine. Yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's telling bank – his stories have bank heists in them and, like, fucking cops <laughs> are letting him run the show. And I live in the suburbs, bro. He's, he's chasing around topless Tank Abbott. Uh, like, what, what, are, what, are you, what are you doing with your life, Matt? Seriously, man. You call yourself a fighter? Like, hey, I, this, this is why my career doesn't break out. Pat Militich would have been, would have been a hot ticket back in the day. The thing was, is I was never, I never got in fights when I was a professional athlete. Besides, like that situation with with uh, with Tank, I, I generally, um, I was in the gym constantly, and if I wasn't in the gym, I was at home. So yeah, I, I didn't get in trouble at all when I was fighting. When I was actually a professional athlete, for the you know, for the most part. Well, listen, you're a Hall of Famer. You're you're, you're the you're the you know first champion at uh, in the UFC at welterweight. Uh, so that's amazing. Uh, you know, you're you're a legend, a legend of the game. And, uh, and you miss you 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 mispronounced old. No man, no, <laughs> fuck that. No no, fuck that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and then Matt Snell, what's your record now? Thirteen and three or something? Uh, I think I'm fourteen and five. Fourteen and five. You won five out of six. A victory over Lewis Smolka. Yeah. Uh, you got some some huge wins, and I uh, can't wait to see you fight again. Good luck with that baby. All right. Thanks, you didn't see any, oh, by the way, get the snoo. You know what the, you know what the uh, snoo is? We've got, we got one. Yeah. Oh, fucking game changer. Hey, it was an honor, too. I didn't know that I was going to be on this with Pat Militich. Pat, always. Great to, great to talk to you, Matt, man. And uh, stay healthy. Keep that baby healthy, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye, Tyler. Take care. Tune is on the